What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, the man, the myth, the former holiday man of last week, George Terran, alongside the genuine man, myth, legend, talent of the show, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I'm fine and dandy. I'm, uh, I've decided to forgive you after leaving me high and dry last week. Uh, you know, I haven't had a holiday since I got here. That was only 10 years ago. And he, he takes off to, you know, another state to have our bloody holiday. Jeez, that's, uh, yeah. I, you can direct your letters of complaint to, to George, not me. Um, and uh, I, I won't be taking any responsibility for that. But I went out to a trivia night, an actual, an actual in-person trivia night last a week. A legitimate and I, trivia event. And I came fourth. Out of? Fifteen or so. Hey, that's good. No way, two of us, in fairness. I can't take entire credit on that one, but... Yes, um, you can. You're just being a too decent of a fellow. Uh, no, I, I leave all the... Um, see, it's, 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 it, we split the duties up. I keep Dell around, a friend of the show, Dell, who mm-hmm. does the um, he does the acronyms, so I can't do them. Ah, uh, yes, yes. I, I, I am pretty useless at uh, trivia, unless it's a movie trivia. I rem- I am going to kill bullshit on that because I still remember when you came to that movie trivia at the Melbourne International Film Festival about six or seven years ago, and like we were a bee's dick away from winning all that. We were, we were. But that's that's what I say. I'm I'm good at movie trivia and nothing else like geography, history, music, life, how to be a person, <laughs> anything like that. I'd fail. <laughs> adulting you know yeah. <laughs> uh, that kind of thing like i i must say you were, we were a dream team at night because you had shay with us that night who absolutely destroyed the uh the uh, celebrities when they were young section my god uh, that was terrifying it's like it's like i suck at that i'm like oh that guy was kind of familiar um that like she's oh that's that person that's and like oh my god i have a hidden talent everyone has a hidden talent everyone has she their place. also had the uh the horror scream as well Yes, yes, she she a woman of many talents, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone has everyone says I'm no good at trivia, but I've got a talent. Everyone has a talent on a trivia night, a place in a team. That's why you need a, a well-rounded team. You need the science guy, the acronym guy, movie music, and I used to keep uh, Dell and I used to keep a guy in our team for about a year who we didn't really know or like very much, just because he was very good at answering the music questions. <laughs> we uh, we took it pretty serious. See, I feel sorry for that guy that randomly got put with the rest of us. Andre! Yeah, Andre, yes! <laughs> Andre, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm sorry, Andre. Um, hey, he got shit out of that, right? We won prizes that night. That's true. Um, That's true. I think our, t- our team name the following year is the good, the bad, and the Andre. <laughs> his legacy lives on exactly he's like it's like the antonio's when i go out drinking you know um it's a long story it's a private joke and is not very entertaining to anyone what's on the show we've got a chocker block show this week because we weren't here last we week we have we're not gonna we're gonna try and uh, like it seems like we've been relatively sticking to kind of four topics in the run-up up until the break so i think we're going to kind of stick with that we are going to continue on with our chain movie which following on from last time was um 
Time Bandits. This time we're following Sean Connery on. It was my pick to go to his last filmic credit. And as the, uh, the much lambasted, shall we say, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, we will have a bit of a talk about uh, Falcon and the Wounded Soldier, episodes four and five. With, there's one episode left. Um, have you been keeping up with Invincible? Yes, I watched the latest episode last night. Mm, yeah, so we'll probably have a couple of words on that. And then I know that Travis went to go and see the Bob Odenkirk um, reskin of <laughs> John Wick uh, called Nobody. And I went back and revisited something that I trialed when Apple TV Plus first came out, which was Mythic Quest. And I yes, smashed I think... through that. Mm. And one of the episodes is called Quarantine. I have things to say. <clears throat> I think I watched a couple episodes of that when um uh, when it came out and I didn't like it. Um, so mm. it will be interested to hear from you. Uh, mm. Well, I think, did you like, you obviously like the first season, so... It's probably not going to be. I was going to say, you're going to tell me if it's got any better, but you you liked it. So. <laughs> it was, well, I mean, it was, it's it's definitely a situation of, um, it's, it's definitely got its own style and taste. And if you are not completely down with it or willing to soldier on and kind of get invested, Oh, it's a hard entry. It's a hard, hard entry. But you know, Celebi. You know, we'll, I'll talk about it in a in in due time. In due time. Indeed. I would like to start. With, uh, let's just go crack on and mm -hmm. have a look at the chain movie. Shall we? We start where we always yeah. start. Start at the chain movie. <laughs> um, and uh, so, as George gave the heads up, the chain movie is the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. We have followed Sean Connery here to his last uh, on-camera role. I think he did a couple of voice roles yeah. after this. Kind of a shame, but he this is the last thing on his resume, but considering how poorly it was received. So 2003 is the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, if you don't know what that is, I'm going to remember to tell you what it's about for a change. It um, is based on an Alan Moore graphic novel series, Great the guy novel. who created V for Vendetta and Watchmen, most notably. And from Hell as well was in there. Uh, mm -hmm. And in an alter, I believe this is the one that turned him off Hollywood, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, I think so. I think because it was there was there was a run of them. There was this, there was From Hell, there was From Hell was the one, this and then yeah, they made a then 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 Watchmen, but no one's done anything since. So I don't know if there's anything else out there, but um, yeah is frightening to be made, but Alan sort of said, yeah, nah, fuck off after this. Um, <laughs> so um, the League of Victoria gentlemen, in an alternate Victorian age, sorry, Victorian age, in an alternate Victorian age world, a group of famous contemporary fantasy, science fiction and adventure characters team up on a secret mission. Uh, and we have Sean Connery starring as Alan Quartermain. You probably don't know many of the other stars. We have Nasser Rudin Shah as Captain Nemo, Peter Wilson, as Mina Harker, Tony Curran as Roddy Skinner, a.k.a. The Invisible Man, who they couldn't get the rights for, so they never say The Invisible Man. He's <laughs> a Invisible Man. Uh, Stuart Townsend plays Dorian Gray. Shane West plays Tom Sawyer. Jason Fleming, Dr. Chekyll and Mr. Hyde. And the Australian Richard Roxburgh plays M. Uh, uh -huh. And there's a few others, but those are your, sort of your probably your better-known characters. Most of them are in the public domain, so it probably look like a pretty good project for... Um, for uh, was it Fox? Um, yes, at, yes. At, at the time, 
Um, so what is the film about? So as we sort of said, we have these very famous literary characters. We'll call them literary because they're all from mm. books of one or another. Uh, the film opens with a tank uh, attacking the Bank of England and stealing all the monies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that sort of prompts the, the British government to reach out to Alan Quatermain, who's now based himself in Africa somewhere, mm -hmm. to put together a team of extraordinary individuals to fight back against uh, the bad guy. Um, I forget. The Shadow no, the Phantom. The Phantom, right, yeah, which is unfortunate considering, you know, the, the King comic character of a Phantom. Um, <laughs> it's a guy in a really shitty mask uh, who's, who's commanding the, the people who had the tank to to uh, to to attack the, the uh, British uh, bank vault. But basically what's happening is he's made it look like German soldiers attacked the Bank of England, mm. then did a, a, a blew up a factory in Germany with a bunch of guys who would dress up like British soldiers, the idea being to drive the European powers mm -hmm. towards war uh, so he could then sell, you know, mm. arms to both sides and, and make a shit ton of money. And some uh, people may – wait, but hang on. This sounds awfully familiar to um, Professor Moriarty's plan in Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows. It's because it is very, 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 very similar. Similar. I believe M is actually Moriarty, right? That's that's the. At some um, point, they like kind of. It's it's a throwaway line where it's sort of like, oh, that that guy's dead, um, suggesting that he's just renamed himself. But yeah, uh, yeah anyway. I think the insinuation is that M is Moriarty. Yes. Um, yes. I guess now, if you remade that, you could have Holmes in it as well because he's public domain, as we have discussed recently. Good point. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, <laughs> Quartermain is brought in to lead a team of people with the idea of fighting against the Phantom and, you know, preventing, saving the world and preventing the world going to war. Mm -hmm. uh, that team, you know, essentially involves Captain Nemo uh, from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Mina mm -hmm. Harker, who's from Dracula. I honestly had to look that up. Um, the Invisible Man from The Invisible Man, Dorian Gray from The uh, the Portrait of Dorian Gray, which I realised having watched this film I've never read. Um and so I don't know anything. She had no idea what why he was here or what Dorian Gray was supposedly about. So I had to re quickly read the Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, Tom Sawyer, of course, from the uh, Mark Twain novel, Tom Sawyer, mm -hmm. um, and Dr. Jack and Mr. Hyde, also from the S.G. Wells novels. Mm -hmm. And they are. Now, so it is also worth pointing out that um, the character of Tom Sawyer is not in the graphic novel. That was an addition to the movie because um, the studio was concerned that there were not a, was not enough American representation in the movie. There was no American representation. <laughs> and it's interesting so, that he's introduced in a scene where the Phantom attacks the uh, the League in uh, Dorian Gray's house or mansion or whatever you want to call it. And he sort of pops up out of nowhere shooting a you know, mm -hmm. cowboy style. And you're like... I didn't even have to hear that guy talk to know he's American. Yeah. Yep. He just looks American. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although, interesting to note in the trivia that apparently there was a follow-up novel to the original one, Mark Twain, where, Mark, where Tom Sawyer was a detective um, and actually visited Europe and stuff doing detective shit. Um, so um, I didn't actually Google that. So that could be bullshit. <laughs> but um, IMDb hasn't lied to me before. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, uh, except for that Kill Bill sequel. Um, that one's mm -hmm. 
Uh, but um, so you're right, he's added in. And interestingly, they've also twisted the actual the, um, the league around a little bit from the comic books where Mina Harker is very much the leader of the crew and actually assembles the, the league and leads it, um, mm -hmm. whereas they've re-spun sort of, uh, it differently here, being that Alan Quartermain is very obviously the leader of the group yeah. um, and Mina Harker is really relegated to being a side character, which, I mean, whether it's a sexism thing, which it definitely could be, mm -hmm. or the fact that they had a AAA star in the role of Alan Quartermain, um, so they kind of that's where they decided. To... I would have to think it may be probably more of a first one, frankly, because they the script I imagine was written by the time they got Connery on board. Um, well, he was an executive producer as well, so you know, I but apparently that was part of um, part of the problem because this was a production nightmare, it was supposed to be filming in Prague and then Prague got flooded and sets were just washed away and destroyed. Um, Steve Norrington, the director of this, who is probably most notable for directing the first Blade movie. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. This is not the first time we've met Mr. Norrington. Not on this show. We met Mr. Norrington with one of his finest works. And I think a film you are criminally underrating here is he's the man who directed Death Machine. <clears throat> So anyway, yeah, he's most known for the first Blade movie. <laughs> and Death Machine. And that movie shall not be named. <laughs> um, yeah, so this was kind of one of his first big projects after, uh, after Blade. And apparently him and Sean Connery really came to blows. And there's rumors that Sean Connery punched him on set and things like that. So... It was a, a troubled project, shall we say. Norrington has literally never directed anything again. No, no, this killed his career. This killed uh, director Stephen life. Norrington had such a hard time this movie, he announced he would not direct another movie again, and he hasn't. Um, yeah. Whether or not he had a choice in that is a different story. Um, you're right. Um, there was, Yeah, there was a, a notoriously bad relationship between him and his star, which is probably not going to end very well when your star is... Sean An icon, <laughs> unless <laughs> unless you're, you know, Mark yeah. Scorsese or something like that, in which case, yeah, you're probably going to get away with it. Um, yeah. But it, it, it sort of reflected, interestingly, but the rest of the cast is pretty big, right, really. I mean, I have to pick the next week's movie. I had a really hard time with this because pretty much outside of Sean Connery, I know Stuart Townsend would play Lestat in Queen mm -hmm. of the Dead, and I'm just not going to do that to us. Um, Thank you. Thank you. But other than that, I mean, I, I, Richard Roxburgh, like I said, I remember him as he's an Australian, mm. um, uh, and he was in Moulin Rouge. But that's about it. Like most of the rest of these people are pretty anonymous. I um, feel like the the one who's had the most, what, what might have the the easiest time going from is the guy who played um, the the Invisible Man. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Curran, because he's been uh, in quite a lot of stuff. Well, I worry. I've got something, some decent plan for it. Like, just sort of interesting that I don't know. I think the story was that um, Connery got paid something like eighteen million dollars for this role, um, and I'd suggest a giant chunk of that went to him, and a giant chunk went to the special effects. Yeah. Um, so it's back to sort of we're talking about the film. We have the league trying to take on, um, trying to take on the Phantom and his crew, and they gallivant around Europe, uh, eventually ending up in a confrontation in Venice where the plan is uh, from the Phantom M 
to uh, to basically blow up and sink Venice, which is actually kind of cool, really. Um, and we have lots of um, lots of double crossing and blackmailing, and you know that guy's with us, that guy's not with us. Um, some of the interesting parts that, that were for me was uh, I liked some part. I liked Nasserim Shah, Nasserudin Shah as Captain Nemo very much. Me too. Actually. Really interesting to cast an Indian, uh, an Indian actor as Captain Nemo because you go back and check the book. I think he was an escaped slave or something. Captain Nemo's character in the in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's not necessarily white. Like yeah. um, in most films. So I liked that very, very much. And I thought he actually filled the role really well. Uh, I don't, he's, if you look at his, his, his IMDb page, he's done a lot of Bollywood, unsurprisingly. Um, probably, I understand he's a very, very well-known actor in, in India. Um, mm. Not less so in the West, but he was fantastic. And I liked the design of a Nautilus. I um, did, yeah. Yeah, I thought. One of my problems with his film mm. is we meet the Nautilus in London. I guess it's London. Um, and it's about six stories tall. It's incredibly huge. Um, but it's, it's it looks super cool. And you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. But I'm like, I, I, I've not been to London. I don't know much about the English waterways. But I'm like, how did that thing get underwater? Like, that thing is six stories tall. You need to be insanely deep for that thing to yeah, go underwater. Yeah, the Thames isn't the deepest in the world. I feel like if they were trying to do, going to do it realistically, we would have had the – a Victorian era version of the Suez Canal stuck boat. Then he's when they visit, they they, they, they end up sailing to Venice in 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 the Nautilus, and it's sailing mm -hmm. through the canals of Venice. And again, I've not been to Venice, but I have. It could turn on a dime. It's not a very uh, most canals aren't particularly deep. No. Um. So, uh, you know, makes me wonder how exactly it fit in there. But there's also the um, the fact that it looks incredibly sh much much smaller compared to the buildings in in Venice than it did in London, and you're like, oh, guys, you probably should have thought about that. But it looked cool. And then the yeah. there's of a car. What, I love the car. Did you love the car? I love the car. It was kind of. It reminded me. It was sort of like okay, they've got their they very the for all of Nemo's inventions because he's portrayed as this genius inventor. They've all got this similar aesthetic to them, and it was as if kind of Captain Nemo had once somehow seen an early concept design for Tim Burton's Batmobile and was going, yeah, I'll do something like that. The Victorian Batmobile. Mm. Yeah, it was kind of like that. It's like you know what, I'm okay with that. Yeah, it was. I mean, so I think these sort of things portray really for me the fact that there were a lot of very, very good ideas in this film. Uh, I haven't read the book. Have you read the book? Yes. Is it amazing? I think you were talking about it the other week. It was like really brutal in parts. Yeah, there's there's parts of it. The The story itself is um, it runs along the same kind of lines, but the, the character development within the team of the League of uh, is very very different and um in later book oh shit the, the shit that mr hyde does to a certain member of the league fuck me <laughs> it's, it's, if you've read, i've read watchmen i've read v for vendetta alan moore doesn't pull punches no he does not he co no. comics are not for children and um anyone who questions that just show them any alan moore book and i mean I, you and I are big fans of Watchmen. 
Mm. I think you're a fan of V for Vendetta as well. Overall, yeah. I think it it's, wasn't, I think it it's wasn't the perfect. weakest of them, but it's... it's I think fine. From Hell was the weakest, personally, but um, but there's some debate to be had on that. I There's so many good ideas, which is typical of an Alan Moore-based mm-hmm. production. Mm-hmm. He's got He's an incredible writer, yep. full of brilliant ideas, inventive, you know, left-wing, um, edgy, threatening ideas, stuff that make why what led Watchmen to being such a great film, but, um, despite the fact that it was made by Zack Snyder. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being um, <laughs> So mean. I am being mean. It was a good we film. And, and even, that. The, the book's even better. Um, and so you can sort of see them piddly-piddly through his film, but really f- cool ideas um, that, are, that are sprinkled throughout it, along with actually some of the really great production ideas, which I imagine maybe come from Stephen Norrington or, or, or the production designers. Um, but it never gels. It's just too badly put together to survive. But for yeah. me, I think those ideas are good enough that it kept it interesting for me. I just think it's a cool idea. It's basically a Victorian Avengers. I absolutely agree. I think that this is primed. And we're, we're going to talk about it. Um, I think we're going to talk a little bit, at least about the first episode of Joss Whedon um, and his new hbo series the nevers and this kind of feels very kind of along those lines and it's like okay yep yep i would be absolutely down for this i would be totally fine with like a mini series or a or a, or a, or a limited run series following the league of extraordinary judgment because that's a cool concept that are rated no yeah. punches hbo game yeah. of thrones style no punches pulled. I mean, and like I said, 100%. almost all of these characters are in the public domain. Yeah. So, I mean, except for maybe Invisible Man, I think. Um, uh, oh, we've got a spammer. You can you can wield your ban hammer for the first time this week. Uh, <laughs> I want to become famous. Are you saying we're not famous already? Five out of seven it. Russian bots approve of us. Thanks exactly right. You, <laughs> you tell the Russian bots that we're not famous. Um, so it would be something like that would really, really work for us. It was like a, a little. It was it would be prime for a remake for me. And who knows yeah. who owns the rights now? Considering this is um, what uh, eighteen years since it was made. Well, um, I mean, it was Fox. Now it's Disney. Whether it's returned back to Alan Moore, who knows. Who knows? But I I just really think that the get the right creative team in, you could have a really fantastic limited run series just covering the stories because it'll go fucking brutal. Um, it, it, I'd it even be, a- be fine with considering another topic we're going to talk about later on of Invincible, mm. even an animated version. Yeah, no, that would be cool too. Um, mm. It'll be cheaper. I mean, there's so much to work with it. And even, like, the addition of Tom Sawyer didn't hurt it. Um, uh, I thought he was actually quite a a likeable character in in the end. In fact, all the characters, well, most of the characters are pretty likeable, really. In fact, honestly, I think Quartermain was maybe the most dull um, character in in the film for me. I really enjoyed Peter Wilson in particular. I haven't seen a lot of her since La Femme Nikita, I think it was, back in the the 90s or 2000s that she was in. Um, I, I was a I was a regular watcher just because I enjoyed you know the production values. Um, of course, yeah, 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 that's all. That's all it was. <laughs> all we ever watched. It was just, just, just writing. 
the writing, man. It was all about the writing. And um, that she was fantastic as Mina Harker. I really enjoyed it. And I loved her. her she had a great sort of relationship with Dorian Gray. Mm-hmm. Um, she played by Stuart Townsend. You kind of had that, you kind of felt that there was some history that they, they had together as mm-hmm. characters, a little bit like Hawkeye and Black Widow. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm overstating it a little bit, but you would talk I about even, things. Sorry, I, I would even say that um, Stuart Townsend in, in this role, he showed more of that kind of Lestat kind of quality of arrogance that was kind of missing from his turn in the role. I think Queen it was later, later on. Yeah. It's like, okay, I could see why he was initially cast in that role. Because, as you say, the, the, the repartee between the two of them is fantastic. And they instantly build this chemistry and this history between them that's only alluded to through conversation and subtle nods between the characters. It was great. Can you believe, though, he was the original choice as Aragorn? Yeah, that's a weird one. He was cast as Aragorn. Yeah. I don't I mean Aragorn the pretty boy? I don't think so. Um yeah, I don't know. No, well they got that one right when they yeah. gave him the yeah. ass. But like I really he's not bad. He's just I don't think it was the right role for him. Um because yeah. that would have been like just about this time. Um but yeah. he would have been filming something like that. Um yeah. and like so I enjoyed their repartee very much and I could definitely see how Mina Harker would make an interesting you know, uh, leader of a group like this. And that would sort of feed into that current trend right now, you know, for mm-hmm. you know, female leading characters and stuff like that for, you know, yeah. um, something like Venevers. And you could even, if you, you know, I mean, let's face it, Alan Moore's not going to have anything to do with it. So yeah. <laughs> you can fatten the team out a little bit. You can go out and, but I'm sure the rights to um, some of Jane Austen's characters are up and available. You can stick them in the team. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Well, but considering is, you've got Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and all of those sorts of things, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're open open source now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, I actually hadn't seen the whole thing end to end. And it's a bit long um, mm-hmm. for what it is. I just think it, it probably had an hour and 50 in it, the story. But mm-hmm. I just don't think, I mean, I don't think much, I've, I, I can't spend such a long time since I've seen Blade. Uh, I don't think Norrington's much of a director. Um, uh, Death Machine probably taught us that much. He, maybe he just got lucky with. Uh, maybe he's got. You don't know what we're talking about. We, we Death Machine is a 1994 action science fiction film, but we watched last year yep. as one of our chain movies. Being with um, Rachel Vice, I think it was. Yeah, was in, yep. was the, the link into that film, and that you had a real challenge getting us out of that. Yeah, I did. Yep, thank <laughs> but, you for um, that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so yeah, I don't think he's actually much of a director. Um, and look, maybe it was just as I you said earlier, it's a trouble production. And he kind of had to cobble together what he had, but um, it, it was just the the ending was a bit meh. Yeah, I feel like the every element of it, the the runtime probably would have been fine but they just spent it in unusual ways. And it's like, okay, uh, oh, you're not really doing that. You're, you're picking that story up again after you've been without it for 45 minutes. So, okay. Um, I don't know. It didn't really, and it didn't make full use of its cast of characters. Yeah. So we didn't get a lot of time with Nemo. Like, and again, I, I said, I found him a very, very interesting character. He had his sort of 
he's doing um, martial arts and stuff, which is not generally associated with an Indian character. But yeah. I do believe there are Indian versions of martial arts. Yeah. yeah and some are. martial arts apparently did originate in India. And I'm like, that's, again, a really interesting original idea. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe if it had been like, you know, he had been a, you know, Southeast Asian, you know, Chinese or something like that. You know, that might have been a little bit cliche, but an Indian character, he doesn't get to do much of it. Um, there's, there's so much suggested, like subtle bits, like just when when they uh, see him at the end of the corridor, just going through his ritual to, to the god Shiva. And it's like, oh, he worships the god of death. It's like, oh, he's not the one I'm worried about. And it's like, okay, that's that's cool storytelling of for a character without actually having them directly involved or, you know, uh, exposition dumping. But they don't do too much with it. And it's like, all right. Mm, mm, yeah, it's annoying. <laughs> so close yet so far. Mm. Um, I would, it, it, I would, as I said, this is this is a prime for a remake. I don't, I mean, they lost, the they lost their shirt in it, so I don't think there'd be a, yeah. a hustling back to it. But it's it's fascinating to me. We've talked about it before. We go back to Monster Squad, which is the favorite film of ours that we've watched mm -hmm. on the show. They've got these interesting. IPs sitting there doing nothing with them, but it's just easier to make another Star Wars spin-off. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really sad that you know these are, especially for something like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where they're all these literal iconic characters or slight variations thereof, and yet they are not bankable like things that were made in the last. 40, 50 years. Uh, is, is there really a time limit on these characters? Uh, um, do, do you think there's going to be a point where we don't have a Dracula or something Dracula's like that? A bit, see, the thing is that Dracula's bankable. Mina Harker isn't because, again, like I said, I had to look her up. I haven't read Dracula since I was in high school. Um, so the character name didn't instantly, like Van Helsing's probably bankable. Um, you know, probably probably the Hugh, Hugh Jackman film. Um, you know, and I guess maybe that's it. Maybe if they had a part of this, like one person in it, like a Frankenstein or a... Mm. But then again, I was like, you put Frankenstein in it, that's just it's a horror film because that's what Frankenstein means to people. Mm. Um, so you could do your Dark Universe thing, which they tried to do a few years ago and failed um, because you can sell that as a horror film. What do you sell this as? If I said it's got Alan Quatermain and Mina Harker in it and Captain Nemo and, like, we go back to that, that, that couple who are having a date at the movies on a Saturday night and they're looking at the board and Fast and Furious 9, Furious and Space is on. Or, you know, <laughs> you know or this, Great you know. in space. You know, like, um, it's, it, you, which one are they going to go for? They're going to probably get the one they know something about. Alan Quart no one knows what Alan Quartermain is. Maybe that no one knows what Captain Nemo is. Mm. Um, so it's, I guess it's, I think it's because we're pitching as we come back to all the time, they're pitching at, you know, just trying to catch a second of someone's attention with yeah. something that they know. Yeah. I did just remember the, the remake of this for lack of a, lack of a better descriptor. And that was Penny Dreadful. Yeah. Very similar. Penny Dreadful has got that same kind of idea. You've got Timothy Dalton. His character is very much the Alan Quatermain, old school, Victorian, gentrified adventurer. You have 
Eva Green in there who is kind of taking up that little bit of Amina Harker role. You had Josh Hartnett in there being a bit of the Wolfman. You had Frankenstein and his monster coming into the show. Um, you had, I think there was, I think there was a, a moment of Dorian Gray in there as well. Yes, yes, he was in there. So it's like they've, they've played with it, and that was a that was a critical success show. There, I think, with the right people and starting small, kind of starting it almost like a Blumhouse movie, where it's a, a minimal budget, just get that groundswell going. They could build it up into something quite potent. I think those characters have got more than enough, particularly with set in the Victorian era with the one of the most kind of historically relevant protest things of the world, which was the, the suffragette movement, that can be tied into so many things. Either you update those characters and bring them into the modern age where protesting is part and parcel of our life, or you set it there, but you bring in some of that kind of phraseology and ideology from present and inject it into the past where it's kind of these are conversations that have been happening since back then so it's like yeah it's sad that these conversations were back in victorian era and they're still not resolved so you you can play with it. <laughs> it it would be i don't think i'm going to be holding my breath though um mm. historic bombs don't usually get reboots at a high rate that's fair that's fair unless somebody in particular comes along and says no yeah, somebody with a big name says, I want to do this. Yeah, like Chris Nolan comes along and like, you know what, I've got a passion project for. They'll go, here, blank check. And that doesn't happen very often because they like doing their original stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe for Zack Snyder or something, if his next film. I really like the look of his next film, by the way. Yeah, I do. I think that um, Army of the Dead is going to be – wait, is it Army of the Dead? I think so, yeah. It looks like yeah. fun. For some reason, I was thinking Casino of the Dead. That kind of works too. It does, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Travis, I, th I think we've kind of come to an organic end for our review of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It is up to you. Where are we going next? There are so many. It's actually a little bit challenging, I said, but I've, I've decided to go with uh, British kind of – we're going to follow British character actor Jason Fleming. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce his name. Oh, saying. yeah. And he's done some stuff. He's been he around has. a while. Um I did consider Tay. He was in Spice World. Um, don't worry, yeah. we're not going to Spice World. Don't you fucking dare! <laughs> the temptation was there. It was tempting. Mm -hmm. um, he was also in a couple of Guy Ritchie films, uh, Snatch and uh, Lockstock. Mm -hmm. yeah, but what I'm really enjoying about what we're doing at the moment is I'm watching a lot of stuff I've not seen before, and I'm not going. And we haven't been going easy choices. And so uh, this might be may, maybe people think this is an easy choice, but I think it's actually going to be pretty good. I haven't seen this film before, and I've been looking forward for a reason to watch it. It is the 2004 Matthew Thorne, Daniel Craig film, Layer Cake. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Um, so uh, a successful cocaine dealer gets two tough assignments from his boss on the eve of his planned early retirement. Uh, Daniel Craig, Sienna Miller, Michael Gambon. Sally Hawkins, I think you can find Cole Meany from Star Trek. Um, mm -hmm. I think you'll find a way out of it. And it's oh, got yeah. a seven, a seven point three in IMDb and a seventy three Metacritic score. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been recommended to me by my criminology lecturer as a film mm -hmm. that he recommends. So, um, and that people he's interviewed for studies about criminology recommend. 
Okay. It was also um, the directorial, the feature film directorial debut of Matthew Vaughn, who famously um, took over the X-Men franchise after Brian Singer um, stepped away for a little bit with First Class. He did Kingsman. He's been doing Kingsman for a little while now. Um, yeah. So there's more than enough places for me to go, and I'll he's be happy produced, to go back to that movie. He's producing the Flash Gordon film, apparently, if it ever happens. He's yeah. also producing, and this is not bullshit, he is producing the Tetris movie. And you're sitting there going, I couldn't possibly, but it is in, it is in post-production. Well, Elizabeth Banks is directing a movie about a cocaine bear, so anything's possible. Taron Egerton's in it. Um, so, you know, <laughs> uh, I would, I would enjoy, I'm looking forward to Tetris, the movie. Um, anyway, so that's Layer Cake next week. Yep. Yep. Layer Cake. Cool. I'm happy to, um, happy to watch that. Thank you. <laughs> shall we, uh, at least I should, I, I should, I mean, I'm picking films I haven't seen before, so not no, necessarily speaking for my goes. And, um, should we talk about uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Our yeah, let's go on to Falcon listen. and the Winter Soldier. Episodes four and five have aired, and we've got one more to go. So the last two episodes, some things happened. So, <laughs> Stuff happened. There were yeah. Drama took place. Yeah, actions happened. People yeah. did things. Uh, Captain, yeah. the new fake Captain America, he got up, he went to work, felt kind of sick, left the You wouldn't time. like him when he's angry. Um, I'm, how are you feeling about it? You were a bit skeptical to start with. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of, you kind of picked up your interest again in episodes two and three. Yeah. Are you hanging in there? I'm hanging in there, but we're up to the final episode and it feels like there's so much story left to tell. And I just That's wonder, true. I, I, I just feel like either it's going to be a crazy last hour of TV where shit is just going to happen all the fucking time, or they're going to just leave lots to it. Lots. <laughs> I hope I don't leave too much on the ground. Uh, mm. My two main, uh, just one of my main hopes of the last episode is they really tie up those loose ends. Mm -hmm. And two, no fucking sky beams um because that's what marvel do oh, please. Oh, please. Um, oh, no please. sky beams uh and i'm reasonably confident because this has been a very grounded series uh and i don't see who in unless they introduce some wacky new character in the last episode mm -hmm. um who would be responsible for producing a sky beam um should we let's have a look though so episode four it was the last one we talked about um, uh, and we, so we have, I don't know if we actually w talked about episode four because it came out just after our last show and then we were off for a week. Five would have been after our last, was it? I don't know. Um, Either way. But so basically we, we've now had, um, we now have a, uh, so spoilers, if you haven't watched the show yet and you would like to watch the show and you're planning to watch the show. Spoilers, 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 incoming now you've been warned so we now have a uh fake captain america um played uh, uh, of course by um wyatt russell uh, john walker who is now super powered he has taken the serum in episode four the four yes it was four um well, no, john, i think john walker had actually already had the serum he this, had was at it? the start of the show 
But, no, yeah, so. he, took it, he, took it the end, he took it in episode four. He found it on the ground. Oh, you, you mean he stole it, not consumed it? Yes. Well, he, yes, he, right. he found it and he consumed it in episode four. No, no, he no. Wasn't he, super pa- he wasn't super powered at the start of a show. He wasn't? No. Because he was, like, taking on the those other superpowered people in, like, episode he was, and he was in the, the same way, in the same way that Anthony Mackie was, but he's not superpowered. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, 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 curious, I'm curious about that. I, I, I feel, I feel like for me, I thought that he had already taken the serum. That's why they had that whole conversation with Battlestar in in the episode. It's like, would you take if you found a serum, would you take it? He goes, oh yeah, absolutely, man. It just makes you more you. But oh, you'd be fine if you got it because you know you've got all these awards and stuff. I had that whole conversation about that. Well, I thought that they were having that conversation because he'd had it and he was worried that it was t- changing him because he was starting to show a little. Possible psychoses. I thought that what they were going to do in that whole scene was him possibly force feed um, his friend the serum so that they could be super bad together. That's where I thought that was going. Uh, I just said, why I people, I can't see the chat. My chat has crashed after you banned oh. spammer. So I'm going to have to ask <laughs> you to keep in just in case anybody throws anything in. So um, far, nothing. It's okay. I'm just saying. Sometimes we have we have occasional people who do comment on the show. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, we we have now we uh, also mm. sorry she's behaving a super powered hero who may or may not have been super powered at the start of a show um, and who has now kind of lost his nerve and, and actually killed someone at the end of episode mm-hmm. four. Uh, for we have Battlestar was killed in a fight with the flag smashers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, John Walker chases one of them down, fake Captain America, and kills him with his shield while in public while people are filming him. In episode five, we have a character who is now stripped of his um, stripped of his commission. Ranked. He's taken yeah. rank, and he's, he's basically given dishonorable discharge, and he, he's stripped of his authority. You no longer have your authority of Captain America, and we expect you to return the shield. But uh, the shield, of course, he doesn't have anymore because that was taken in a fight by 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 Bucky and uh, and um, Falcon, yeah. uh, I keep it Anthony Mackie Falcon. Um, yeah, <laughs> <his> character's name. <laughs> um, so uh, you know uh, Sam. Um, mm. So um, I, I guess we also learn about some shady goings on in episode five with uh, Sharon Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, is potentially the word on the street is that she may now be the power broker. Mm-hmm. Certainly, that there is, is a, quite implied. There's a huge cameo in episode five, which blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Did you catch it? I don't think I did then. Julia Louis Dreyfus turns up. Uh, oh, shit, yes. A now discharged uh, John Walker, who I believe will probably go on to be US agent. Is the character in the comic books? Um, yes. Uh, and she plays Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. I mm-hmm. have no idea who that character is or what role she'll play, but you do not cast Julia Louis Dreyfus in a role if she's going to turn up for five seconds and nothing else. Like, well, let that. me just tease you with this then. So, in the comics, she is the perfect foil for one Nick Fury. So the idea of having Julie Louis-Dreyfus versus Samuel L. Jackson in a few delicious scenes, that is mouth-watering. I, I can see it was weird, right, because 
it, she's like, what, what the fuck is Elaine doing in, in a Marvel show? Um, <laughs> she but, got um, out of prison after the, the finale. <laughs> it changed her, man. It changed her. Um, I was watching a review of the episode on YouTube and someone referred to it as Julia Lewis Dreyfus. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry, do you not know who that is? How do you not know who Julia Louis Dreyfus is? Like, even if you didn't watch Seinfeld, she was in Veep for like 10 years and won all the fucking awards. So, anyway, um, but I, enjoyed, I was like, oh my God, it's Julia Louis Dreyfus. And I assume it's just a, a setup for maybe one of the films or maybe a future series. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was exciting. Um, I have, <laughs> bless you, I very much enjoyed Daniel Brawl's arc. <laughs> yes, I did. I hope that this, we have not seen the end of him because he was delightful he's one of the he's quick because of this show he's been given more more room to breathe and he is on a level where i think that he treated with the same reverence he could be very comfortably sit in a similar pantheon as loki um i did you see the video that marvel released like a longer one hour video of him just dancing in the um it's so stupid. It's funny. Uh, I enjoy it. Um, and so I, Daniel Brewer, we talked about that earlier on. Great actor. Really enjoying his yes. shit. Yeah. Um, uh, one issue I have with this is sort of continued all the way through, and it really came to a head with the last episode for me, and that is with Carly Morgenthau, um, played by Aaron Kellyman. Oh, yes. Um, so we've seen her character sort of take an arc through the series of being – I guess kind of a freedom fighter to start with or fighting for, you know, Robert Hoodie sort of character who was sort of yeah. fighting for oppressed people who were overlooked as after the after everyone was snapped back and, you know, people mm-hmm. refugees and such. So a semi sympathetic character to start with. Yeah. But she sort of started to take more extreme means as the show has gone on. We saw her blow yeah. up a, a, re- a building that had like people in it. I can't remember the global resettlement thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And in the last episode, we now see her. We see her go head to head with the captain, with um, you know, fake Captain America and Bucky and and Falcon a few times. And mm-hmm. in the last, the most recent episode, we see her hire um, uh, Batroc, um, George Batroc, yes. um, who was from the start of the show, I think, the first episode. He was um, um, he was in on the uh, the boat sequence from Captain America: Winter Soldier. And from the start of the show as well, he has now got a bit of a vendetta against Sam Wilson. And so, so she's hired him to kill um, Falcon. Yeah. And so we've seen her really take that up from being someone who was, you know, fighting for a cause to now sort of taking it, making it personal mm-hmm. and in increasingly violent ways. And you can start to see the occasional scene where her followers are questioning her now going, is this what we yeah. are now? We hire, we are criminals. Yeah. Um, and the thing that occurs to me is, why does anybody follow Carly Morgenthau? Like, if you think about leaders, people who lead groups, there are fairly common elements amongst them. Maybe they are the best at what they do. Yep. If this is the case, she's the best fighter or the best, the strongest, the most powerful fighter that they have. That might be a reason they need to follow her because they fear her. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's necessarily true. We haven't seen anything to say that she is. Um, particularly good at fighting or particularly strong or particularly more powerful than any of the other uh, yeah. flag smashes who've taken the serum. She's not particularly charismatic, I don't think. She, she's quiet and softly spoken, which I think was maybe the angle that they thought was going to be kind of yeah. interesting to have a quiet, softly spoken young woman to be mm-hmm. uh, the, the big bad terrorist. Yeah. Um, 
it doesn't work for me because, like, again, I'm thinking to myself, why would anybody follow her? She's not particularly not a good speaker. Uh, she doesn't give, you know, great oratory speakers to inspire her charters. And now she seems to make decisions in, you know, uh, unilateral decisions which they disagree with. I just think it's strange. I don't think that's worked. I feel like they they should have done a little bit with her, kind of what they've got with teaming up Falcon and Winter Soldier together, where Sam Wilson is the kind of the the humane heart and the the caring heart of the of the Avengers in many ways. He's the guy who helped kind of the recuperation of Captain America. He's the guy who has tried to reach out to Carly Morgenthau. And in many the the scene where him and her are just talking is beautiful. It was a great scene um showing these two people who are kind of stereotypically on the opposite ends of the spectrum, just coming together in a meeting of minds. Then you have the Winter Soldier, who is, he's been very tamed down this uh, in this show compared to what we've seen in the past, but he is like the muscle and the, the scary guy of the team. I feel like um, the, the guy that died from um, John Walker killing him, should have been kind of the muscle to her heart and between the two of them like kind of like how um i don't know if you ever watched the the new planet of the apes movies i watched the first one yeah so in the second one and the third one in particular is it's a really really good dynamic between the the ape character of caesar and koba who is much more of the, the brutal kind of guy and the, the muscle behind the throne, so to speak. And it, it comes to a horrible, a sad, tragic head in those movies where one has to fight the other. And I feel like to get a truly sympathetic villain, which they were doing quite a good job of, of selling the idea that the Flag Smashers aren't, you know, it's quite easy to actually argue their point of view the character isn't really there to kind of back that up or really as you say lend credence to the power of the leadership i believe i heard that this show was has a cut i'm not sure i would imagine episodes and story because of covid um i understand the the person who died earlier in the season where um, Carly Morgenthau was really attached to the person in the refugee oh, yes. camp. I forget the character's name, who we barely met yeah. at all. And, like, all of a sudden it was a major plot point. She had to go there for his funeral. And we're like, why? Yeah. I understand that that character had a, a, a significantly amount more story behind what their importance in the in the, uh, in the the Slag Smashers and why she was important to Carly. Um, but I understand a lot of that was cut for time um, because yeah. – the rotor. Um, so maybe maybe I'm being a little bit hard, and maybe there was more that they had on the on the page that was going to give us an understanding of why people were interested in what Carly thought and who she was, and that's yada yada yada. Uh, maybe it was more on the page we didn't get to see. But I'm finding that a weakness of the show is I'm like, mm. who is this? Why does anybody care what she says? Why do they listen to her? Yeah. Um, but um. Mostly, I must say, I really enjoyed the last episode. I thought it was strong. 
Uh, and I really, again, come back to the argument, the part with um, the the uh, the African-American soldier who was experimented on. Uh, Isaac. Isaiah. Isaac. Um, and um, Isaiah Bradley. Isaiah Bradley, uh, yes. And so we talked, he was in episode two and coming back again. And the story he really told, if you're familiar with U.S. history, really... Um, uh, echoed the Tuskegee, the Tuskegee uh, tuberculosis thing. The American government gave medicine to people, think what they said was medicine to a bunch of African-American people when they were really just seeing what happened to them when they got tuberculosis. Um, so they experimented on these people for a long time without them knowing that they were doing it. And so I think that was the, the angle that they were going for there. It was very um, reminiscent of that. And again, uh, I, I'm enjoying the fact that this is just the people, oh, it's a superhero show. It's dealing with actual shit, right? It's like it's not just uh, telling a cool story. We're actually, if you look up, there's a subtext going on here. I think that's the the true power of episode five is the fact that it kind of did away with, it kind of stopped pretty much every storyline except just building the relationship between Sam and Bucky and Sam's relationship with his sister and Bucky reaching out to other people. It was in kind of a, a, a real character focus and it was really delightful. It was really nice to see the, them be able to go deeper with these characters and explore them in different environments, see the, the, the challenge and the, the thought process behind Sam of, am I gonna take up the shield? And having them just having this very nice, just open, honest conversation. And they're just almost like throwing a baseball bat, uh, baseball back and forth. They're just kind of flicking out the. the yeah, yeah, we're watching it. Yeah, it was, it was a beautiful moment. It was a very humane moment. And I really appreciated it. But I think that's your penultimate episode. Okay. It's an interesting choice, but they're brave, right? They can yeah. take the focus off explosions for 10 minutes. Yeah. And just have two guys get to know each other in a superhero yeah. drama in the penultimate episode. I think probably what the genius of this show is for me, most of all, is some people at the end of it was at the end of Endgame, right? A lot of people are like, oh, Bucky's gonna become the next Captain America because you know, yeah, he's already super powered, he was his best friend, yada yada yada. So there's yeah. a few people who were a bit surprised when Falcon got handed the shield at the end. And a lot of people I talked to were like, well, I'm not really interested in seeing Falcon as the Captain America because he's not super powered and I don't know anything about him and he's boring. Yeah. Um, and not to say, I mean, I think the fact that people thought it was boring probably more of the fact he hadn't had any real arc of his own yet because yeah. I mean, he was one of the lesser characters. So yeah. what I think this show, the genius of this show, what it's achieved is, is when Falcon takes up a shield and becomes Captain America next, Everyone who's watched your show is 100% on board with Bucky, with I'm sorry, Sam being Captain America now. We've been on a journey with him, we know him, we like him, we care about him. He's done, he's had to overcome quite a bit to, to get to yeah. this point. So yeah. he didn't just get handed a shield and go, By the way, you're now arguably the most famous superhero in the world. Yeah, you know, he's now actually earned the right to that title in the audience's mind, I think. Yeah. Uh, and and the, and the next Avengers film, because let's face it, there's going to be one. Of course. <laughs> so <laughs> whenever he's in the next Avengers film as Captain America, he's earned it. He's fucking earned it, and we are yeah. on board with him. 
that's it and i I feel like the way that they are showing him taking up the mantle they're gonna have to do something along these lines for whoever or whatever they do next to continue the legacy of iron man as well because iconically played by one of the most charismatic uh personas of cinema and how the hell do you follow you're not gonna leave that property to just sit on a shelf you they're they're working out plans already i'm sure of it of how they're going to continue it on continue that legacy and you can't just randomly go oh yeah here's that kid that you totally forgot about from iron man Man three who just randomly popped up and had changed so much because of puberty no one knew who the fuck he was at the funeral now suddenly he's got a super suit you know they, yeah. they can't do that the fact that they have invested this time into continuing the legacy of captain america and doing it in this way of really retaining that kind of the heart and soul of the the best of humankind the, the that representation of what captain america is kind of supposed to be and doing it with the character of Sam Wilson and really getting people to actually care about him where he hasn't had much screen time and people have largely, even to me, it's like, I'm not particularly interested when the, when the series started, it's like they had good chemistry, him and Bucky in winter soldier, uh, no, uh, the, uh, civil war. So I was like, okay, I'm happy to see that. But now I actually care about him. So it's well done. And they're going to have to do that with, with Iron Man as well. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, I'm sure many people are getting paid. Imagine getting paid to read comic books at Marvel Studios and go think about what you're going to do with him next. Like that would be cool, yeah. wouldn't it? But, you know, it's it's like that. It's the thought of is, is the, so like the Disney Plus shows, is that where they do this? Because I think I it is. I can't I see them like, being able to do this in a movie. I mean, so... We talked, I mean, I'm going back to a conversation from several years ago, but when, yes. before Infinity War landed and before, I think it was a plan, was a original plan was to be one film, right? Yeah, um, yeah I think If so. I recall correctly. But either way, we were looking at, remember looking at the cast, it was a bit bigger then. I think the Eternals were part of it at that point. Um, oh, and uh, and we're looking at going, how the fuck do you get that many characters on screen? How do you make it interesting with that many characters on screen? How do they all get something to do? Yeah. So that fans walk away satisfied. And the Russo brothers, to their eternal credit, did that. They did it. Pretty did well. It really like, I mean, I'm sure somebody walked away disappointed that Black Panther was only in Endgame for five minutes. But, like, everybody had their moment. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, what you couldn't do was because the whole arc of that series, those films is really about Cap and Iron Man, right? Like, yeah. that was the – and, you know, there were a couple other big parts in there, but they were the – they were the key players. Yeah. But so you can't tell all those stories. So Wanda didn't get much of a story. Vision didn't get much of a story despite being insanely powerful. You didn't get a lot of story, as we said now, with with, um, with Falcon. So I think mm. that's what their TV shows will do. Mm. I think there's a lot more they've left a lot on the table with these characters. Mm-hmm. And now they've got their own fucking TV network. So they can just yeah. go, we're going to make, you know, in a, in maybe this would have been an eight, nine episode season in, in a different time. Um, and we're going to fully explore these characters a little bit more, flesh them out, or take them from A to B. So we've got Falcon. We want him. He's at A. We need him at B. We'll do a six, you know, special run TV show to get that character. Um, Can I give you one last weakness on this, though? 
Yeah. You really need to be up to date with your Marvel to keep up with this, right? Like, yeah. I, all the way through, like, you mentioned Boltrock earlier. I'm like, he's probably been in something else, but I've forgotten. I yeah. haven't seen Winter Soldier since it came out. So I had forgotten who he was. I mm. remember he probably was in something else, but I couldn't recall. Yeah. So you kind of really need to step. So now you know you need to see the films. You need to invest and watch for TV shows because if you yeah. walk into the next Avengers movie and all of a sudden, you know, Falcon's got Captain America shield and he's got a suit because what's in that suitcase? Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden you've got US Asian in there fighting him. I'm like, who the fuck's this guy? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you kind of, it does increase the investment of time and energy you need to put into the franchise to stay up to date with what's happening. Mm. I feel like it, and that's that's only going to get worse over time just because of the sheer amount of stuff that they're making, but also the multiverse of madness. Not only is it like, oh, yeah, that guy was from like six years ago in in this movie and he's come back in here. It's like, oh, wait, that's that guy from the other movie in another universe. <laughs> and then you've got X-Men and we've got Fantastic Four to come in. So yeah. I feel like um, we are actually legitimately at a point where it's going to be previously in cinemas and then a 10-minute catch-up. I, I think there are, people who, there are people who do that on YouTube, right? They put in, like, videos, like, in case you missed. Like, you yeah. watch the, the 10-minute catch-up video before you um you watch this, uh, the uh, the next movie. And it's, um, it, I mean, it, it, it's a, they're victims of their own success on that front. Yeah. That's right. Before, yeah. Have you got anything else to say? On this uh, one? Not really, no. Did you see, while we're on Marvel for a sec, did you see the trailer this week for Shang-Chi? Shang-Chi? I did. Not interested. I, th I thought it was the most boring trailer they've produced in a very long time. Yeah, it was very generic. The so like the action sequences, they didn't they didn't seem really punchy for me, and this these are supposed to be highly trained assassins and these are like because from i don't really know anything about um the ten rings organization or anything with the with the mandalorian but you've cast totally lung chu Wai as the mandalorian and he is a living legend of asian cinema not only martial arts movies like you think in um hero and a plethora of other movies but he is phenomenal at drama and so it's like okay that's what they're showing is their first true glimpse of the movie it kind of feels like a higher budget version of iron fist it really did i've got a huge iron fist vibe from it yeah and it that just, is not it's good not a compliment because that wasn't good um no. I was really, and then uh, I don't know, and, and Aquafina's in it, who's a comedian, I guess. Yeah. Um, and there's the, the the final scene is hers crashing a bus or something. And yeah. She, the bus. She looks at the camera, and I'm like, oh, she's gonna have. They're gonna have a great line to finish yeah. this trailer. And it was just the most boring, uninspiring, unfunny yeah. line. And I'm like, wow. Everything I mean, felt off to me. The pacing, the the mood that they were trying to set, that action levels that they were trying to set they didn't really reveal anything of the story it's like okay you either say something or you say nothing and you've shown us stuff but said nothing it's yeah look i mean we've said this ad nauseum on the show of people listen that marvel are famous for really bad trailers yeah in my opinion uh, yeah. i remember when we saw we saw black black panther's trailer like whoa 
this is going to yeah. be a stinker. Um, and it wasn't. Uh, yeah. Or by, by the exact opposite, we saw the Suicide Squad trailer and thought, this is going to rule. Mm-hmm. And it was fucking terrible. So <sighs> I'm not basing yeah. anything too heavily on the trailer. And I'm going to see it anyway, just out of pure curiosity. <laughs> of course. So, of course. You know, um, it just didn't inspire it didn't look good i mean it wasn't a good representation and you know i get that marvel movies always have that little element of comedy in them and i think about the last trailer for um black widow and they've done a really good job of making that look like a fucking cool action movie and the the comedy between the the family as they're all sitting down for dinner and stuff it all works it all plays into that energy this trailer didn't have energy it um like it's and the director he's done his last film I saw was Just Mercy which was a good film mm-hmm. uh, and he did Short Term Twelve which is also a very good film mm-hmm. um, but then they're a long long way from a superhero film so I don't know sure. uh, I, maybe it was just that like I said you, really you nailed it I got massive massive Iron Fist vibes from this yeah. and and I think that's absolutely the last thing that they probably wanted from this. Yeah, the worst of the Netflix shows that have all been cancelled. It's like, mm, that's not that's not a good flavour to put in people's mouths. Um, and it's like a kung fu superhero. I don't know. Look, we'll give it time. We'll check it out. But I yeah. was, it was, it was. Uh, first, first showing was shaky legs. Um, what we should move on to? Yeah, um, should we keep with the superhero thing and go on to the adult fair of Invincible? Yes, um, I uh, am still very much enjoying it. I think I've turned the volume down in the last couple of episodes a little bit. Um, so okay. I think at the uh, at least the last episode. So what was that? Episode six, six. Um, and yeah, and that's actually the worst rated episode of the season so far on IMDb. Um, but uh, the one before, sorry, yeah, at the end of episode five, that, which is called that actually hurt. <laughs> uh, that actually, sorry, I'm, I've been lying a little bit because they really didn't turn the volume down. There was a massive fight at the end of that one where we almost yeah. saw Invincible get uh, killed, if that's possible. Yeah. Um, that was a brutal fight. <laughs> that was really brutal. Um, that was good. When they, well, I think it shows at its best when it does that. Yeah. Um, the last episode was a little bit more Dawson's Creaky. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I feel like... Um, I don't know. I don't. The, I, I appreciate the development of the other characters, but I feel like it was a bit rushed. And um, what's the the best friend's name? Um, William. Will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was in the first episode, and then I feel like I haven't seen him at all until now. And it's like, okay, playing catch up a lot with this guy. Okay. Um, and they go visit a college, and yeah. we meet an entirely new character we haven't met before, who's probably set up to be a villain later in the series, I'm guessing, or a future series yeah. if there is one. Yeah. Uh, it, it was fine, fine. Yeah. I feel it's like fine. this is—it's it, gonna quickly become a bit of a victim of its own success because the first few episodes were so rock solid and so strong pacing was great everything was great that you can't you just literally can't keep that going no show ever ever has they've always had lulls and comparatively i think it's still pretty good but it's not at the same level that i was hoping for 
It's, I mean, it's still good. I'm still enjoying yeah. it. I, I, mean, yeah, I, me I mean, it's done. It's done a very good job in five episodes up until well, six episodes now, including mm-hmm. episode six, um, to really build relationships with his characters. I, I yeah. care about them. I like them. Um, yep. We understand their their um, challenges in life, and I mean, it's interesting to see Invincible's um, struggle is a little bit of a Spider-Man struggle, right? Like he's trying to yeah. have a a normal teenage life and have a girlfriend at the same time as trying to, you know, be yep. a superhero. And that's and that's an interesting angle. Even if we have kind of seen it done before, it's a slightly different one. It's almost like Superman in that role. Yeah. Uh, young young Superman. Um, you may, I don't know. Did you ever watch Smallville? Did they ever do that in Smallville? I did. Uh, I, 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 yes, they did. That was one of the best bits of this last episode for me. They played it very true where William finds out that Invincible is Grayson because it's just Invincible, full costume, standard costume with the, the half mask and the, gla- uh, the glass. He comes down and he's right over the top of Will and Will looks up and just goes, and that's you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's half, half a fucking face he's showing. It's not that difficult. Like, how does no one... There was a meme that I saw and it's like, um, it's showing the DC movie characters versus the Marvel movie characters. And it's like Tony Stark and Iron Man and Captain America and Steve Rogers. And it's like um, all these uh, sort of like regular pe- uh, people with secret identity. No one knows who they are. Uh, or, no, everyone everyone knows who they are. And then the opposite was the case for, for the DC ones. It's like, yeah, that's actually kind of true. It's, it's dumb. They're very obviously those people. Why, <laughs> why are they having a secret identity? And why are they even – why are they not? <laughs> I, I watched again this week with the, uh, the famous – probably the best thing for me that came out of Batman vs Superman – was the Jimmy Kimmel clip where he actually they reshot the party scene where he's like, "You're Superman, oh, you're Batman," and then the uh, Lex Luthor geez. comes up. And he, yeah, Lex Luthor comes up and goes, "No, he can't be Superman. He's wears glasses. Superman has perfect vision. Yeah, <laughs> he can't be Batman. He's wearing a nice suit. Batman with a big flowing cape." Yeah. <laughs> so it's like um, that was the that was that would have been better if something had actually gone in the film for me. But yeah, I I like that too, and um. It was just a, it felt like it was like a placeholder, um, a placeholder episode. This one, but it's yeah. still, I think, v- a lot of fun and very, very enjoyable. Agreed, absolutely agree. And um, the the subplots are still going along nicely, like what Robot is doing and why he's so invested in Monster Girl's recovery, mm-hmm. Black Samson's survival, slowly bringing in elements of that. The the clones uh, doing their thing, even. So like, oh yeah, you know what? The son of that security guard from the first episode, yeah, we're gonna bring him back and bring him make him part of the story and actually have it mean something is like that's cool. I appreciate it. And of that. course the main one being that, you know, uh his wife has figured out that um yeah. he yeah. killed the guardians. Um that was so a good you... scene as well, him him mm. just sitting there having a beer with his tailor. Yeah. That was uh, I don't know if I mentioned this when we talked about it earlier, but it is distracting sometimes when they cast people. We did talk about this, didn't we? Yeah. It is so distracting when Mark Hamill pops up in the show. And I'm like, it's Mark Hamill. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care who you say that is. It's Mark Hamill, right? Like it's, yeah. He can't play. He can play the Joker fine, but he can't. If he's not playing the Joker, I don't know. I just don't feel like he could disappear like he could when the Joker was he's doing that role. It's like, you, oh, it's Mark Hamill. You haven't watched... Um, avatar the last airbender have you no no 
because he uh mark hamill plays uh fire lord ozai and he is very good in that he is threatening he is menace but on a totally different spectrum to what he did with the joker he he is a very very good um voice actor but he has got that iconic voice and if it's not a character that is just deep deep information if he's if he's just kind of doing the cameo or whatever it's like yeah what he's, he's trying it he's trying a voice but it's it's him <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to it's, it's like i mean and because like i guess because you know um i think we talked about it earlier but some of the characters actually like nolan looks yeah. like jk simmons so yeah. he's like basically oh it's jk simmons but like I, he doesn't look anything like mark hamill it doesn't work for me but um and a lot of the others, I'm very easily able to forget that Zachary Quinto plays Robot or yeah, um, Stephen Ewan is playing Mark. It just, it's, you know, yeah. it, um, those are fairly recognisable people, but I just forget that. They, um, you know, they, they've dropped, they sort of drop into those roles so easily. Yeah. Um, but um, either way, it's, it's it's not a criticism of a show. It's, no, no, it's it, a lot of fun. It's just a just point of it. But, um, yeah, highly enjoyable still. I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of it. I hope that we get... Um, it maintains it through the rest, through the to, through to the end of the show, um, and more to come. Because if this is a success, I hope that it does breed more of that kind of option for production companies to go. Okay, you know what? Like what we were talking about before, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Let's do a, a live action thing. We've seen little bits of it. it, it those little 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 tiny pebbles falling down the mountain that will start a, a landslide like um uh zach snyder's uh animated uh curse of uh curse of the black, black ship or whatever yeah, yeah um, for for, for watchman that was great that was really good and the um got season two coming out at the uh, end of this year love death and robots on netflix very excited about that yes 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 so we've we've seen the slowly developing kind of marketability of adult cartoons and and not just talking about stuff like rick and morty or adam uh uh the uh the fam family guys south park and that sort of stuff where it is 100 yeah we're getting away with this because this is raunchy comedy it's like no we're doing this just because we're making it for adults. That's it. It's nice and simple. It's going to be funny sometimes. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be dramatic, whatever. And I really appreciate that. I love that world. This is a pebble that starts an avalanche, and that's um, mm -hmm. much like my suggestion about um, video game movies, which is just waiting for that. It's it's waiting happening. for that pebble. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's still <laughs> happening. I tell you, God. It, it, you know, like, um, yeah, Uncharted's going to be the one. I swear to God. <laughs> Borderlands, Borderlands is gonna be the one. Um, <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog and Pokemon with the and, at least and, uh, Angry Birds. Yeah. <laughs> Should we talk about a different kind of superhero? Yeah, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about the Nevers, which is uh, I the, guess uh, an interesting one to to talk about, considering hmm. the recent slew of anti Joss Whedon. Well, it's, a, it's produced by his um, long-lost cousin, Was Jeden, um, and uh, <laughs> we don't mention the war here. <laughs> and and, uh, and Was has a uh, Was Jeden has a uh, 
has a, a knack for this a little bit. Like, he reminds me a little bit of his long lost cousin. Um, mm. Mm, uh, <laughs> so if you don't know what we're talking about, but Nevers is a new TV series uh, based, uh, well, it's an original series uh, yeah. created by, unfortunately, uh, Joss Whedon, uh, mm. if you hadn't heard, is persona non grata in Hollywood. He's a pretty, pretty fucked up shit he's been accused of. I mean, obviously there was stuff a couple of years ago um, with um, with Ray Fisher on the, uh, that came out about his behavior towards Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg in, yep. in Justice League. I mean, the fact that he produced that thing is enough for atrocity that we shouldn't want to talk about it anymore. Um, but <laughs> he did, he, he actually, he cut him out of a film, he victimized him, and I think there was yeah. like accusations of bullying and racism and that sort of thing. And yeah. then fairly recently, some of the stars of Buffy yeah. uh, from from back in the day came out and accused him of a very similar sort of um, bullying and, and harassment, I guess. Well, not direct sexual assault or anything of that nature. Um, was it Michelle Trachtenberg was said yeah. that she wasn't allowed to be alone in the room with him? Yeah. Uh, if I recall, that was one of the accusations. It was some pretty messed up stuff. And um, yeah. And I think, sorry, I just think you have to talk about this if we're going to talk about the Nevis. Um, and I think the the other part of it that a lot of people have said to me is that that most felt most betrayed by Joss was he had a reputation as being a feminist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he produced Buffy, you know, he with great female leading characters. Here. Yeah, um, for a long time, he was the guy that everyone wanted to create a Wonder Woman movie, and it made a lot of sense when you think of his success of making action-orientated, female-led Buffy the Vampire Slayer and um, the, the character of River in um, Firefly and things like that. I'm like, yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. I'm like, oh, that probably would have been a nightmare. <sighs> well, he did do a TV show, right, with uh, Adrienne Palicki, um, but never got picked up for uh, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but that's what Joss has done, and uh, but he did write and direct this episode. He is the creator of a show. He has stepped away. Yes. um from the series now so i don't know i have to imagine on other things in his personal life life which like mm. yeah like not working ever again yeah. um many sorry but this show uh is a victorian this interesting interesting um interesting companion piece to league of extraordinary gentlemen in, in a way um three years after an inexplicable event suddenly equips them with extraordinary abilities amalia true and penance adair work to protect their kind from widespread deepening antipathy. Meanwhile, police inspector Frank Mundy, Ben Chaplin, investigates a string of murders at the hands of a reportedly touched and highly dangerous serial killer named Malady. So touched has become a euphemism for women who have developed powers or abilities yes. off the back of this inexplicable event, which is almost like a, a meteor shower. Um, because somehow all the uh, only affected women in this way. Well, the... it did and it didn't. Don't say anything. I've only seen episode one. Yeah. Um, so it's – I thought that they, they had a bit of a reveal of it at the They did. It was like the sprinkly one. sort of things in the air. It's like a, like a ship – kind of thing coming over yeah 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 that's right but um, it kind of looked like that i guess it was, it was sort of reminding me a little like bit pollen. of pollen yeah like pollen yeah. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of a meteor shower in the day of a triffids you know as yeah. being kind of the, the macguffin yeah. that kind of set off uh, the whole thing but that affected everybody but this event 
only affected women. Mm. And that's that word touched has become come to mean people mm. who are, are not, you know, mortal anymore in a sense that they, uh, some of them have, uh, well, one of the characters we meet early on has developed the ability to speak multiple different languages. Um, another character is ginormous. Yep. Um, that sort I of thing. I do some love that idea actually as, as a, um, a superpower of just knowing every language and not having a mother tongue essentially and she just jumps from one to another and for the lay person for someone living in the skid streets of london your child just starts saying bonjour je m'appelle george it's like and you don't know french it's like uh my son is possessed by the devil <laughs> it's it's it, it's a cool and concept. It is. And that's where Amalia and Penance come to the fore in a sense mm. that they run like a, a home or an orphanage or a academy for the gifted students. Gifted. I mean, students. Uh, <laughs> for, 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 for wayward women. For, for, for mutants, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, it is a very, sort of a very Professor X-y sort of role for them. Yeah. Uh, but they, they take these people, these, these women in uh, who are touched, for want of a better term, um, and give him a home, and I mean, I guess maybe we'll learn more as we move on about exactly what their role is, and you know, looking after them and maybe developing those abilities. Um, and uh, they are played by Amalia, is played by Laura Donnelly, who I don't know, um, but uh, she's quite good in this. She's from Outlander. If any of our female watchers uh, or listeners are fans of that show, because I understand it's mainly about the eye candy. On Outlander, I tried watching episode once and made it about halfway through. Yeah. Um, and the uh, and we also have Penance um, Penance Adair played by Anne Skelly, who again I don't know either. Um, no, but it's a, I really enjoyed the first episode of this immensely. Actually, I was thoroughly thoroughly entertained. It I think it did everything that it needed to do to set up a a series. It had cool action sequences it very much cemented the kind of the 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 attitude and the narrative type storytelling that you're going to get in the show it had very clear lines of these are good guys these are bad guys look at their fucking faces they're clearly bad guys um look at the political intrigue that's happening here it had a little bit of a sampling of everything but it all flowed nicely it was well it was well paced. Um, I kind of felt like the escape from the carriage in the car was a little hammy, a little contrived. It reminded but, me. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of um, Firefly. You know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Um, um, but overall, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, and I've watched the second episode, and it continues very nice theme. It is not all about the action. You are getting some really nice character development pieces and really just good conversation between some of the uh, between the different characters. And the particular thing that they are doing very nicely that I wasn't sure whether they were going how much they were going to invest into this, but they are actually bringing some of those social. Um, social restrictions shall we say of the victorian era into the conversation not as like a sjw um kind of commentary pieces but they're just using them as like that's what it was like in this time and those were certain expectations that men and women had in polite society and things like that and we are gonna actually shine a bit of a light on that 
and it's not going to be comfortable all the time. It's going to be funny sometimes when you look at back on it and go, really? That's, uh, that, that's, that's dumb. But it's all done with uh, a certain level of reverence. Uh, it really was. I did find some of the... Um, uh, look, there are characters in there who I just didn't feel like they belonged there in that age, talking and moving around like they did. Like, mm. I don't know how many... I can't... I don't know. How 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 commonly would you have run into a couple of Indian people in London in the eighteen nineties? I wouldn't have thought it would be terribly common. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, fairly common, maybe. considering considering how prominent England <laughs> dominated India. I oh, know that's obviously they did. You know they, yeah. they they you know they they ruled half the world. But I mean, like, yeah. was it all? I don't, I don't know how many people were coming back to England. I don't know. They were getting, getting quite a lot. A lot. Um, a lot of them were kind of coming back as either kind of like what what sort of happened a little bit with Pocahontas, where she was brought back as as a bit of an exhibition. Uh, so like, oh, look at this. Um, look at this interesting new new thing that I brought from the dark continent, blah, blah, blah. And um, they would either be kind of indoctrinated into high society as like these kind of like show ponies or mm. they would be cast to the wayside when the fancy has changed and it's like, all right, now you're a prostitute. Tough luck. <laughs> or oh, maybe house servants as well. So yeah, I mean, maybe I'm yeah. reading too much into it, but that, that stood out to me a little bit. But I said, I, I don't know enough to say if that's wrong. Mm. Um, uh, I enjoyed the, uh, the the political side of it as well in the sense mm. of like, you know, someone would refer to them as touched and I don't think they're like, oh, we don't, we don't like you called that kind of thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I and I, I like that. I felt like it was dealing with it mostly in a way that wasn't slapping me about the face, which is I think yeah. uh, we talk time and again is the best way to deal with these sorts of issues is to deal with them artfully and subtly because that's when people actually pay attention. I think as opposed to you don't put people aside if you push too hard. Yeah. Um, by the same but, token, I think it yeah. looks amazing. Um, oh, yeah, production value looks is high. Incredible. So, like, I I don't you – know, people said to me, I'm not sure if you're going to like this. Like, um, our regular commenter um, from usually says, I don't think you're like, like – it's too fantasy for you. And I don't like – long-time videos like, fantasy, yeah, <laughs> not really my jam. But, like, where something like Penny Dreadful or what are that one for Orlando Bloom ones or um, Grimm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they put me off side because they look cheap, uh, and they feel cheap. Uh, oh, Penny and they, Dreadful didn't look cheap. Maybe not Penny Dreadful, but um, Grim. But, but but Grim, they've got that. Yeah, that there's a very very obvious kind of like, oh yeah, this is the threshold that that kind of um, genre piece <laughs> gets to. You don't go about that. It's <laughs> like watching the CW superhero shows. Yeah, you know, exactly. like they they just Perfect feel example. cheap. Um, and then this doesn't feel cheap at all. I feel thoroughly immersed in this. Yep. Um, and it's not just going for quick, easy, uh, easy wins going, wow, he's a fairy fighting a troll. Woo. <laughs> um, you know, it's actually, it, it's, it's using its source, its fantasy setting, uh, and material in, as an interesting exploration of real life questions and issues, which yeah. is more my area of expertise, my my area of interest, and and, and you know um, than pure fantasy. Yeah, I um, I would agree with that. I think, um, and it's 
I'm, I'm enjoying the pace of the show as well to the point where this has only got six episodes so far um that that are credited it's not confirmed for a second season or anything like that it seems like at the moment they're telling a story in six episodes an hour long each one and i feel like the way that they're getting through the story introducing the the villains and new heroes and things like that i feel like they're on pace to do it quite well it would be interesting to see if it's, it's done very well uh, its debut episode was the highest-rated show for an original on HBO Max, uh, 1.4 million views. If it's the best thing they've ever had, that's probably a, a good sign for it. If they decide that the maybe considering Joss's step back, um, yeah. <laughs> would would you go with another season? Who knows? Um, yeah. Would the people who made this want to be involved in another year? Yeah. Who knows? Um, but I'm I'm digging it. Uh, yeah. I think it's it's a damn shame, and it, it, I'm not going to go into it because we've done it before on the show. But that line between art and the artist, um, yeah, uh, and it's a it's it's a shame. Just it's always disappointing for multiple reasons when someone turns out to be a cunt like, yeah. like Joss's apparently. But to see someone so talented, yeah, waste their talent. Well, I would like to see more stories like this. I agree. I agree. All right. Um, can we? We. It's. It's. It's the news. I think it's. It, watch it. I think if you can get it on. Um, I'd say I so. Know, it's on binge over here. Um, HBO Max. And the rest in the states world. or like the rest of us, the Pirate Bay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, can I talk about nobody? Uh, I don't know. Is it possible to talk about nobody? Uh, is this going <laughs> to turn into a who's on first routine? <laughs> Go for it. Go on. Talk nobody, about nobody is the new action crime thriller starring Bob Odenkirk as a middle-aged guy who used to be an assassin. Uh, a bystander who intervenes to help a woman being harassed by a group of men becomes a target of a vengeful drug lord. Uh, this is, it says, Bob stars Bob Odenkirk as Hutch Mansell, uh, who used to be a, an auditor mm -hmm. for those alphabet agencies, as he says, you know, your CIAs of the world. Um, being it's insinuated that he was basically you know, an elite assassin at one point in time. He lives a very mundane life with a family in the suburbs and a house, and it's actually very nicely, nicely um, demonstrated to us at the start of the film with a, a series of, of jump cuts showing him going the same routine every day, going to and from work and coming home and being ignored by his kids. Yep. Yeah, the real sense of this guy lives a very, very mundane lifestyle. Um, and we do eventually start, learn that he has a little bit of edge to him. After his house is robbed by a couple of drug addicts, mm -hmm. he manages to track them down and is about to basically beat the living suitcase out of them um, when he realises they're just desperate drug addicts who have no money to feed their kids, and so he, he backs out. <clears throat> yeah. After doing that is where we are, while he's catching the bus home from that, uh, is where we see the scene where a bystander who intervenes to help a woman being harassed. I think that's actually a misrepresentation of that scene, actually. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll stop now and say if you want to see nobody and you don't want any spoilers, maybe mute us for a little while if you're watching or yes. just, you know, uh, go make a cup of tea. Oh, I'll, try, I'll try and keep it spoiler as little light on the spoilers. But basically he's itching for a fight in that scene. Yeah. He's not necessarily, I mean, it is insinuated, and they are harassing the girl uh, on the bus, but 
it's not really. He's, he's almost he's almost joyful. He smiles. He's happy to see these assholes get on the bus. There are a bunch of these uh, hoodlums who work for the local big bad evil drug dealer guy. Um, he and he seems they are Russians. They are extraordinarily. Ah. They are disgustingly Russian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they have a Russianist Russians who ever Russian. Um, and um, he, he, he's spoiling for a fight. Because yeah. he turned it to his drug addict's um, place, and he's almost itching for it. Like, it's a part of him that he needs to exercise. Um, yeah. And he turned it to his apartment wanting to basically kill these drug dealers who robbed him, but then realises he can't for, you know, they're really not worth his time and they've got a kid. Yeah. So seeing these obvious, you know, uh, targets step onto the bus into his almost like, you know, the spider just caught some flies. Um, you know, it's it's almost saving the girl was almost a fringe benefit. I didn't get the sense from that scene that that was okay. his motivation at all. It was his motivation was he wanted to kick the shit out of someone. He wanted to fight, and these guys, you know, they are in his radar. So, um, this has um very obvious uh, John Wick tone to it. Um, it's written by Derek Colstart, who is the writer of the John Wick films. Um, okay. which would explain it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is directed by Ilya Naishula, who directed Hardcore Henry, um, which I yeah. haven't seen, but I think the whole film's from the first point, the first person point of view. Yeah, pretty much, uh, with Shalto Kopi, yes, and Tim Roth. Um, and he's a Russian, so it's okay that he, oh, bad guys are Russians. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you've seen this film before, people, right? Have you seen, you've seen any of the Wick films? You've taken, you've kind of seen this film. Uh, I was for halfway through going, we do need a, a, a Liam Neeson, Keanu Reeves, Bob Odenkirk, taken nobody, John Wick crossover thing happening at some point. And you suggest, we're talking about it today, you suggested yep. it take place in a nursing home. Yep. <laughs> um, it worked so, for Baba Hotep, it can yep, work yep. for this. Um, I, and you know what? The crazy thing is, it could happen. Yeah. It could really happen. I can seriously, if a week films run out a bit of a steam, yeah. you know, uh, and someone gives uh, Liam Neeson enough money. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, in addition to Bob Odenkirk, we I have know what Lloyd. room you're in. I will find you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Christopher Lloyd plays his dad, which is kind of nice. Michael Ironside, the great Michael Ironside yeah. is in here as well. RZA, who is a rapper. I think he was in the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. <laughs> did, did some music for Kill Bill. He did do some music with Kill Bill. Um, this film is fine. It's fine. I'm not a massive fan of the Wick films. I think they're good. I yeah. enjoyed the first two very much. I did not like the third one very much at all. Um, but this is very reminiscent of those. It's, you know, angry white guy with a hidden set of skills, a very specific set of skills. Uh, angry white guy with a specific set of skills kills gangsters <laughs> in, in increasingly painful and inventive ways. Um, but by the end of the film, probably the most accurate way I could describe it was a mashup of John Wick and Home Alone. Okay. Okay. So keeping yeah. it spoiler-free as they can, yeah. the finale, you can imagine, right, there's a finale. There's a big showdown, right, between the bad guys and the good guys. Yeah. And Boy, it takes place in a factory. Which Shocking. they always do, don't they? Always take place in factories. Yep. But he has this is a factory 
that um, that Bob Odenkirk's character, uh, Hutch, used to work in and now owns. Okay. Fairly recently, just purchased it. Um, he now owns this factory. So he has some time to set up some stuff. Yeah. So imagine if – and hey, here's an interesting idea for the next Home Alone film is that – but Macaulay Culkin is the angry white middle-aged guy who has a very specific set of skills. Um, and deadly with Lego and micro machines. <laughs> but this time, those paint, they ain't paint cans he's swinging at you. Um, <laughs> so, um, but imagine it was a an adult John Wiki and uh, Kevin McCarth, Kevin, whatever his name is, McAllister, uh, yeah. who was taking down, instead of robbers, rushing gangsters. You know, feels good dropping gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I'm I'm trying to leave a little bit of wiggle room for people to enjoy yeah, it when they see it. Enough, um, but it, it so it has that kind of ending. Well, they're kind of like, hang on a second, I've seen this before. Yeah, it was, um, it was a kids' film, um, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a strange tone because the tone of the finale for me was almost like. Was this being played for laughs? Like, you know, Wix films, I don't think the Wix films are played for laughs very often. No. Right? Like, um, they're fairly really, strict, serious action films. I'm like, this is a weird time for me to be potentially snickering at this kind of stuff. But yeah, here we are. Um, so I enjoyed it enough. It was fine. It was. It's, it's 90 minutes. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It doesn't pretend to be anything. It's not, you know, if, you, if you're looking for something... You, Quick and easy and light to watch the cinema. It's worth it. Look, okay. If you especially especially if you like the John Wick films, if you really like the John Wick films, you're probably going to like this too. But uh, can I just give one last mention? Bob yeah. Odenkirk is fantastic in this. Like really bloody good. Like yeah. I don't know if he did the stunts. I assume he didn't because he's like old. Um, <laughs> and I just, he doesn't strike me as the kind of actor. I mean, he's he's in his sixties, almost in his sixties. Yeah. Um, so I, and he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who does a lot of action work. So, but yeah, he, he, I, you know, like, I mean, I don't think anyone was particularly shocked to see Keanu do an action film. Keanu does action, right? Yeah. Liam Neeson, you know, maybe a little bit, but not so much. But, you know, it was a little bit of a stretch to him play that character and taken. But yeah. um, this is way outside of what we expect from Bob Odenkirk usually. Yeah. And he really, really does well. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's more of these to come. Okay. Okay. I wonder if there's it, it, the the next uh, the next kind of combo movie before we get to the old people's home is going to be like uh, Charlize Theron's Atomic Blonde character, and it's like boys v girls or something like that. Um, or, or we could we could have a remember Red the Red films with yeah, Bruce Willis and yeah. John Malkovich and Helen Mirren. Yeah, that was more comedy though. This is that was yeah more action. Yeah. All right. Well, I am going to just finish the show off with revisiting Mythic Quest on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, this was a, a comedy show. It's by, um, what's his name, uh, Ryan McElhenney, who is, um, he part partnered up with his Always Sunny in Philadelphia guys to create this show. It's um, He plays the owner of a successful video game design company, his trouble staff struggled to keep their hit MMORPG Mythic Quest on top. And um, it's 
when when I first watched it, I found it really hard to get into because it's about game design. Well, it, uh, about life in a game design studio. So it's a little bit of a niche environment. Most people know what it's like working in an office, but these this is definitely not your standard office that most people work in. Um, and uh, Rob's character, Ian, is just Ian, but because he's an egomaniac, he doesn't like it said as Ian. He said, calls himself Ian. He is kind of, he's a real fucking asshole. <laughs> and all of them are kind of assholes. And I remember, I think I watched the first two episodes because they were free at the time. Um, I remember thinking one of the, the sub stories of the two testers um, played by Ashley Birch playing Rachel and uh, Imani Hakim playing Dana was kind of the, the best part of the show. And overall, I think that um, that maintains, I think they are phenomenal. They are beautiful, but I managed to watch all the way through and I fell in love with these guys. They're, they're kind of assholes in the same way that the entire cast and crew of Futurama and the Planet Express ship are assholes to each other. But there's heart there when you get through it. Those other shows are a lot more open about letting people in. This is much more this is our style this is our form of comedy this is the way we're playing it you either like it or you don't if you don't like it you can bounce that's fine and respect to them for that because fuck me i have not cried at a comedy show like i did for this in particular episode 10 which is just called quarantine and it happened during lockdown of COVID. And it is done all through the screens of like conference meetings and things like that. And the storytelling of that episode is fucking beautiful. It is absolutely stunning. It starts right at the start of lockdown and they're all still very much the same characters and personalities that we have seen for nine episodes before. They are egotistical. They are assholes. They are fighting between, oh, I'm not waiting for them to jump on. I'll jump on once they've jumped on and things like that. And it's it, their characters continue. But then as the, the lockdown goes, they finally let you into these characters and it is so fucking beautiful. It is one of the best episodes of TV that I have ever watched. I was laughing. I was crying. I felt so much empathy for these characters going through it. And it was masterfully done. Maybe it was because it was taking advantage of something that the world has all gone through. Li quite literally, it's not so like, oh, everyone's worked in an office. It's like, everyone's been in lockdown. <laughs> everyone's been in quarantine now. Um, Would you say, because yeah. I watched an episode or two when it came yeah. out, I think we were reviewing the show and I didn't like it. Mm. Um, if I went straight to episode 10, am I going to enjoy it or do I need to watch all the rest of it? <sighs> that's hard because they do develop all the characters throughout and the relationships between them. Um, I think you could watch it without having watched it, but I don't think you'd get 
the resonance of it with without the the journey that they do take mm. you on and while it is incredibly niche in every way that it presents itself not only the setting not only a lot of the in jokes for things but also just the fact that these people you don't get that nice introduction to them and you start understanding them they are fully formed straight away and they are punching you in the face like your your big brother would and it's like well that's that's fine that that i can see the comedy there they these are kind of pre-existing characters that before we meet them in for episode one and that just is really jarring to to me it's like trying to meet the joker for the first time in this in full psycho joker mode it's like whoa what the fuck you're a lot i don't know how to deal with this it takes i um, know that person I, i kind of wonder if it's a little bit like the office like um I never really enjoyed The Office. Uh, I have a British version. I didn't like the American version very much, but maybe yeah. maybe it's similar in the sense that you needed to persist to get long enough to actually get to know those characters. Because I feel like that was what was happening, right? You walked into yeah. the Dindler Mifflin and you were like, um, yeah. they were, you know, Steve Carell's character was what it was, right? Like, yeah, it was, 100%. You didn't, you didn't walk in on day one and meet him alongside the rest of his colleagues, right? It was, yeah. But you, just... um, you know the 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 creative team behind this. They I have great deal of respect for them because they knew what they wanted from from day dot, and they have refined it, but they have kept true to that, and they have told the story they wanted to tell. And um, the latest episode, the kind of adjoining episode between season one and season two, it's called Everlight, and it's written by Ashley Birch and it's a it's the the sappiest of episodes that they have but even then it's still really cool and it's kind of a a real coming out party for um what's his name what's his name where is he where is he where is he uh Danny Pudi who plays the character Brad who's he is all about financing and he'll kind of angle to finance everything and he really comes out of his shell and it's this beautiful stupid over overly hyper hyper fantasy sequence but it actually is also happening at the same time in the real world and it's just great and i've got to say f murray abram f murray abram saleri the guy that killed mozart he killed mozart he killed mozart I hear a lot of people, Jack. Funny. He is fucking funny. See, they got that right in that film because he was funny in that movie. Yeah. Are we talking <laughs> about Last Action Hero here, by the way, people? If you haven't yeah. seen it, it's a yes. forgotten, overlooked classic. It is, it is beautiful. But um, I, I heartily recommend if you've got the time and if you can kind of put in the hard graft, I think Mythic Quest is from season two onwards it's going to be really special if if you are willing to take the journey you'll you quite quite appreciate it but it's a slog it's a slog if you if you don't if it doesn't gel with you after episode three you're not gonna you're not gonna like it 
Which is a lot to say in a way because these are not long episodes. They're like 25 minutes long. Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm actually going to – I'm tempted to give it, give it another go because it was highly rated. And I like video games and I know a lot about the industry because of my, my yeah. 10 days having worked in the industry uh, five years ago. Um, <laughs> that happens. Um, but, you know, it's a – I question. Yeah. A show that's a slog that we had 25 minute 25 minute episodes are a slog, but you've sold me. I I don't have time, but I'm going to try and try and um try and find some time to actually uh take a look. Plus, again. it is nice that one of the leads, um, you know, it's an Aussie homegrown talent. Her name is Charlotte Nickdale. Uh, yeah, yeah, and she is. Considering she's not really done too much stuff before this, she stands her ground. And she's she's good. She's funny. She's annoying. She's you recognize her, guys. Like she's in stuff. She'd be like, yeah, she's been in stuff. I've seen her in things. Um, she was in Please Like Me, which is a show I quite liked. Um, but uh, and also Ashley Birch, who you mentioned. Uh, voice one of my favorite video game characters of all time, Tiny Tina in Borderlands. There you go. Yeah, she is an accomplished voice actor. And uh, there was a one bit I, after watching the the latest episode, I had to to tweet at her because they do this. Uh, there's a LARPing sequence, live action role playing, and um, she was a an extended cameo guest um, player on Critical Role. Um, when Laura Bailey and Travis Willingham were off having a baby and she played a character Keg and I was just so hoping that she was going to play the character of Keg in, in this in the show, but she doesn't, which is annoying, but the, the character she plays is still delightful anyway. So I I have so much love and respect for Ashley Birch. Uh, I think that ties a bow in the show. I've gone I think so gone yeah. longish, which never happens. No. Um, never happens. Um, We're under two hours. <laughs> two hours. I, I would like to give a heads up for two things. I've been talk. I've been threatening to talk about this for a while, but we just keep having these jam-packed shows yeah. that that just can't squeeze it in. But uh, we're coming towards the end of season two of For All Mankind, the oh, Apple yes. uh, TV show. You got Apple TV? You should check yeah. it out. Um, uh, space race, Cold War drama. Yeah. Um, and on a recommendation this week, I checked out a early two thousands animation that you might have already seen but i hadn't called ugly americans i have not seen that and so i am not going to do it today you're gonna to have to come back next week to hear about them if uh our i'm hoping the show is not so jam-packed we can actually we can we can get to those next week but those are well, we might be talking about a couple of episodes of invincible and a couple of episodes of falcon and winter soldier as i want to actually get around to talking about Outriders finally from Xbox. Ah, yes, that's landed right. Um, yeah. uh, so there you go. There's, there's, it's already packed next week. You, what yeah. more do you want from us? God damn it! And what we're more? gonna be talking about layer cake as well. So, goodness me, it's, it's, a, it's yeah, a show all, among shows, ladies and gentlemen. All the things next week, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else in between and undecided. I don't want to assume your gender because I don't know your pronouns. So, um, you know, I don't want to step on any toes. Thank you, on anyone that, who joined in and watched. <laughs> we don't want to get cancelled. We can't afford to get cancelled. Um, 
uh, thank you for tuning in. Everybody who's tuned in on the, uh, the, the live stream, you can live stream, uh, yes. watch the live stream yourself on Twitch, on the Facebook, on yes. the YouTubes. Yes. Um, uh, you can find our Facebook page as uh, the, the, fried, the Fried Brain. Uh, fried brain Productions. Um, I should know that. Also, also twitch.tv slash the fried brain, uh, youtube.com slash armchair producers. Um, and obviously, you can get this as an audio podcast on all good podcasting platforms um, when I load it up, which usually I try and do on Sundays. But uh, he was on the Gold Coast. I haven't had a holiday for 10 years. But uh, if you want to watch the show, you we simply do it every week yeah, around about seven thirty Australian uh, Eastern Standard Time. If you're overseas or you're local, we can tune in on one of those channels. You can find old copies of the uh, yep. the broadcast, the streams on there as well. If you want to learn about what the posters from the Polish edition of Airplane Two look like, we can <laughs> jump in there and find out. That's a thing. Um, otherwise, uh, if you, something you'd much. like us. Thank you for watching. If it's something you'd like us to talk about, send us a message. People do do that. We do. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. We are a weekly podcast every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to follow along live, please go to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, where you can actually also donate to us, as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash friedbrainproductions or facebook.com slash friedbrainproductions. Thank you, and see you next time. Bye-bye.